Welcome to this podcast series supported by Longwoods Publishing. We want to bring you a series of stimulating conversations with leaders and researchers within the nursing profession and the health system in Canada. I am your host, Kathleen McMillan, a nurse with over 50 years experience in the profession who has held roles in academia, administration and policy, as well as clinical practice. The podcast series seeks to answer the question, what have we learned from this experience with the COVID-19 pandemic that can build resilience for any future shock on this scale? The focus for this particular podcast is the impact of corporatization on Canadian healthcare. Our guest for this podcast is Anne Snowden, a nurse who currently holds the position of Professor of Strategy and Entrepreneurship with the Odette School of Business at the University of Windsor. Dr. Snowden is a leading a national research program for, that's focused on the capacity of the health supply chain to enable health system responses to the COVID-19 pandemic in seven Canadian provinces. This research builds on a well-established program of research focused on health, the healthcare supply chain and health system innovation to achieve sustainability, economic value, and productivity by providing support for innovators and entrepreneurs to successfully bring their discoveries to the Canadian, US, and world markets. Dr. Snowden has published more than 150 research articles, papers, and cases, has received over $22 million in research funding, holds patents, and has commercialized a highly successful booster seat product for children traveling in vehicles. She holds a PhD in nursing from the University of Michigan, a Master of Science from McGill University, and a Bachelor of Science in Nursing from Western University. Good afternoon, Anne, and welcome. It's a great pleasure to have you join us for this conversation. I am absolutely thrilled to be uh, have the opportunity and the honor, Kathleen, of uh, having this conversation with you. So thank you so much. Uh, by way of introduction, I'm just going to say that since the 1980s, there has been an increasing emphasis in Canadian healthcare on managing costs and adopting selected ideas drawn from business to improve overall management. This has led to mergers to create mega hospitals, global supply chain thinking, just-in-time staffing, and a great emphasis on efficiency and financial accountability. Even though Canada has a publicly funded health system, the corporate models of thinking have greatly influenced not-for-profit and public sectors. Today, we would like to explore with you how increasing corporatization has impacted the efficiency-resilience balance in the face of the global pandemic in Canada. Now, Anne, your team recently published a paper on the fragility of Canada's global supply chain in healthcare quarterly, along with publication. Can you talk a bit about what you uncovered and how this impacted safety and care for clients and caregivers? Yeah, that's a, um, a wonderful place to start, actually. We spent um, a long time interviewing well over 180 people, I think, the leaders from Supply chain teams, clinician leaders, health system leaders, ministry, policy officials, and I think we have absolutely clear evidence that up until this pandemic, supply chain has been very much that corporate function office, back office kind of role. It has focused in being very much driven by lowest cost for the best quality products, of course, 
But interestingly enough, when you look across the seven pr- uh, provinces, although we have it has been driven to lowest cost, we've had we have virtually no systems of measuring at what value, and value defined for best care possible and outcomes for our patients, but not just our patients, best safe quality work environments for our workforce. And that's what's missing in this equation. The pandemic essentially just shone a very bright light on what was already there, a very corporate-oriented infrastructure that worked very hard, of course, did very good work, sourced the best supplies the best they could under the incentives of lowest cost. That drove 90% of all supplies for health systems in entirely in North America to China because they have a very low-cost manufacturing environment. So that achieved the low-cost value proposition. But when that geography was the first to shut down in a pandemic, that became catastrophic in terms of sourcing the critical supplies We needed not just to be able to meet the demands for patient care for those Canadians who who got COVID and and very early but became so sick so quickly, but also the demands and needs for our workforce. Because imagine walking into your work environment each morning without the confidence that you're going to be safe with adequate gowns, masks, gloves, face shields, all of the above, medications even for, and I'm an ICU nurse, once upon a time, shortages of drugs for our ventilated patients, shortages of ventilators. That's a, that's a very daunting scenario. And I think we're seeing really quite devastating impacts across the provinces and across many countries. I don't think we're alone in terms of just how deep those particular waters are running in terms of particularly for our workforce. The challenges are overwhelming. The loss of confidence of our workforce, particularly our nursing workforce, that their employer, their clinical care setting is able to keep them safe, I think has devastating impacts uh, long term. I'm not sure that we know exactly to what degree. Right. As you were talking there, um, I wanted to move to a focus on the caregivers. What has been the effect Mm -hmm. of supply chain challenges on nurses and doctors providing care? Because Mm -hmm. I'm I'm hearing that uh, nurses in particular uh, feel that um, they were ordered to care, to use uh, Susan Reverby's book title, uh, even though they were not adequately protected, and that the psychological contract with employers may have been irreparably damaged. Yes. Um, so what are your thoughts on this? Should, should we be thinking about healthcare providers within a global supply chain model, uh, given that they're a global and highly mobile workforce? And um, how, how might this inform health human resources planning going forward? Yeah, I think there's two parts to that. And and this is really the interface of supply chain capacity to support a health system in its entirety to respond to something like this pandemic. And it's that um, global lens and, if you will, global supply of an extraordinarily highly educated, very expert workforce that moves, we know, across global borders and, and what the impacts there. So let me start with the first one. Uh, there's no question every country in the world experienced these very, very catastrophic shortages of critical supplies. Health supply, uh, supply chain teams did, you know, absolutely everything they possibly could to respond. There, no question about that. 
And they had tremendous constraints they were working in to do that. But given the the reality of the shortages, what happened in virtually every province was a a very senior decision-making table that said, we will allocate PPE to our workforce. So what that meant was, as a nurse, you would be given your allocation uh, for PPE product um, for your particular work. Whether that was adequate or not, whether it was uh, aligned with what we've all been deeply educated on in terms of precautionary principles during times of so much uncertainty, was much le- was put in the back seat, more or less. So really what that means is that corporatization of supply chain, if you will, resulted in allocation models. That all became leadership by compliance. You will comply with the products you are given and you will be happy about it more or less. And, and I, I overstate that with you know, a great deal of respect rather than leadership by collaboration and bringing the nursing teams and leaders in, share with them, here's what we have. Yes, it's short. Yes, it's not what we need. We recognize that. Help us design the way forward. Help us help you be as safe as possible, given the constraints that we are all working under. That didn't happen. Yeah. What you found in your research is that there seemed to be very little nursing input into those decisions. Yes. Uh, I I can't. Yeah, I, I can't think of a time, Kathleen, where... I had any interview reference leaders in nurses at that table. Now, there are some supply chain teams, quite honestly, who hired nurses into those teams for very important reasons. They bring phenomenal clinical expertise. They were in the role of supply chain and logistics, and they did their best, of course. But by and large, at the senior most decision tables of every province, they prioritized hospitals first. Mm-hmm. They so, so our community colleagues in home care and long-term care, primary care, all of those very much didn't come online in terms of supplies and sur- support for quite you know a number of weeks, critical weeks actually in the early first wave and even well mm-hmm. into the second. So we had a whole sector of our workforce mm-hmm. literally with no support. Many, you know, we, we had lots of anecdotes of one physician saying, yeah, I, I had to use the masks I use in our chicken coop because that's the closest I could get to protecting myself in my primary care office. Other PSWs, nurses in a long-term care resorted to any kind of a glove they could find, um, usually homemade masks, which, of course, I guess is better than nothing, and maybe even green garbage bags if you had no gowns. So it, it was fairly dramatic in terms of its impact, but I think what the long-term impact here is leadership by, by compliance, we know in nursing, nursing leadership has never worked. It just never, ever has worked. Transformational leadership is what does work. We know that. The evidence is clear, has been for your 50 years and my 40. <laughs> and, that, and that's what would have much been much more effective, much more engaging of this critical workforce that would have, I think, been placed us in a far better position uh, today than we are right now. Right. So what I'm hearing in some respects is that the autonomy of professional nurses was really overridden. Yes, absolutely. And that people felt um, very much that their their employers and the system really didn't have their best interests in mind or, or wasn't interested in 
in what they had to say about this. And so that affects the um, human resource issue because what we're yes. hearing, we're hearing um, anecdotally, and also I think there was one study in Ontario among practical nurses, that there is a, a voiced intent that once the emergency is over, that people intend to leave the profession. You know, something close yes. between 25 and 30% expressing that intent whether or not that will actually uh, come to pass. So this could have a long-term effect um, on health human resources that, that would be quite significant when you consider that in terms of institutional care, the reason why people are there is because they need nursing care. Exactly. And I think that I can't understate the importance of that inherent trust between a nursing workforce and that system employer uh, setting you work for. If you can't trust and be confident that yeah. you will, you, they have your best interests front and center, mm -hmm. then I, I, I'm not sure how you, you remain loyal uh, to that, that, to that role really. And that loss of autonomy, what that really meant was, and so many shared with us, we're not valued. We have expertise. We are at the cold face with these families, these patients going through un unprecedented uh, challenges, often very much alone. And yet not having that hospital or that system or organization you're working for feeling like they have you, you know, somebody's there to help you deliver that great care is a was a very unsettling experience it's one that many have shared with us in interviews and 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 said i'm i'm not sure i'm going to stay in this profession and it's not just the job it's the profession there's yeah. a study out of the us suggesting that 25% of their nursing workforce did not renew their license Right. Uh, this past year. There's yes. others anecdotally in the provinces in our interview data that said they're seeing between a 16%, 22, 23% resignation rate. Those are extraordinary numbers. They are. Our system. Right. When, you know, when I think back in, you know, 50 years, I don't think I've ever heard of nurses being this um, unhappy with this. I have not either. No, I have not either. So do you have any thoughts about how the supply chain issue um, affected vaccine supplies in Canada? Because initially yeah, we yeah. had a problem with that. Was that part of the global supply chain issue as well? What kind of forces uh, were operating to promote and impede distribution globally? Uh, that's a big one. And in some ways, it, it really uh, had a very similar theme to it as the PPE. First, it was the PPE in that first wave and second wave, of course. And then it was the vaccines. The vaccine data, qualitative interview data, of course, lots of references from clinicians particularly that said, wait a minute, I'm at the front line. I am placing myself at considerable risk. I'm not sure that I have adequate PPE. In many cases, I don't. You know, Kai Hai's study it said 60% report still not having access to what they would qualify as safe. Right. And yet, I, I'm not first on the list for vaccination. How does that work? So that act, in, in my opinion, and I think we've got much more evidence and data to look at here, but, but at least it started to signal that theme of not feeling valued. And if I am not prioritized, and I'm, I meaning the nursing workforce particularly, who are the only 24 seven 
at the bedside workforce, really in substantive numbers, if we're not protecting them with a vaccine as early as we possibly can, how is it we could possibly have a sustainable model to deliver the care for the subsequent waves of vaccines? So many, many nurses really felt uncomfortable and uneasy. And they certainly does not suggest that nurses should have been front of the line in front of our seniors in long-term care. Not, not at all. Mm-hmm. But that feeling of not feeling valued that was already well-established in the compliance and allocation model for the supply mm-hmm. of PPE compl- absolutely carried through the supply strategy and distribution plans for vaccines. So that it's a very common theme. I think it has now escalated uh, because of it. it's just so pervasive across these, the many months of this pandemic. Right. Okay. So uh, also thinking about uh, supply chain um, management, what do you think the potential long-term effects are of this pandemic experience where it seems like that balance between efficiency and resilience yeah. was disrupted? What do you think the long-term potential impact is, given that there's a current move to protectionism globally and political spheres of influence seem to be emerging as an old model of of, uh, global cooperation or lack thereof? And uh, how is Canada situated as a mid-level player? Are there opportunities for Canada in this kind of a situation? Uh, I think there are many opportunities. I am an eternal optimist, especially <laughs> after doing this research. Um, first of all, that protectionism is very significant. And I, I am seeing in many jurisdictions that is w- alive and well and continuing. Mm-hmm. And it's not unique to healthcare. So that is something that Canada really has to consider in our procurement models, particularly and sourcing, uh, no longer just looking for that lowest cost over and over again. Health leaders out of every ilk shared with me, never again, we cannot find ourselves in this same situation. So what does that mean? It means you, you are no longer just looking for the best products at the lowest price. You're looking for sources and supplier relationships that have the capacity to manage and respond to surge with you as a partner with the health system. How do you do that? You do that a number of ways. One is diversifying our supplier network. So no longer will we be 90% reliant on China. In fact, many Canadian companies pivoted their exceptional manufacturing expertise sourced the products and started manufacturing and producing some right. of these critical products, not all of them. So mm-hmm. our, our opportunity is to support that domestic supplier network, better balance it with reliance on global sources, because quite frankly, no country in the world has access to all raw materials for all critical products. We need a balance. But if we don't support our domestic supplier network, then two things happen. We don't have the self-reliance that we desperately need and learned how badly we need it. But we also aren't taking advantage of an economic opportunity to drive growth and manufacturing and products that aren't just sold to Canadian health systems, but are sold to health systems worldwide. So, so that's the opportunity. What that means is we have to get our act together, if you will, to be quite frank in working together as provinces, federal governments, health systems, organizations, collaborating on what we're sourcing and how we're finding that balance. Because if we're going to compete with each other, and we did in this pandemic, 
That's just the race to the bottom. We really have to build these collaborative approaches to making sure we are supporting our domestic supplier networks, helping them be globally successful so we drive our economic opportunities. That gives us some comfort and some lead time on the protectionist piece. And the third thing I would say is, wow, do we need to be better at learning from failure? And I use the term failure carefully. Fail for me is first attempt in learning. This wasn't our first attempt in learning, but I hope it's our last attempt in learning on how to manage a pandemic. I reference the SARS uh, challenge you and I both experienced as senior nurse leaders. Um, We have just got to embed these lessons learned into the DNA of our health systems. And that is the leadership by collaboration model, collaborating not just with our workforce and putting our exceptionally qualified nurses into those decision-making tables. Because in my mind in supply chain, what's remarkable to me is a supply chain team are generally not clinicians. They don't know what quality looks like at the point of care. Nurses do. They know how that works. So that clinically integration, learning from these very hard lessons, but making that system come together and being much more resilient is where I think we it is a critical agenda and we have to get to it right now to be sure our next generation of leaders can build on those lessons uh, of today and of the past that we didn't quite nail down. I didn't at all nail down for the SARS at all. I, we, yeah. we reinvented all the same challenges uh, we, we for really this one. Did. And I, I'm thinking too, to, um, you know, some of the uh, areas that I thought that didn't work this time were things like communication. Um, yes. We didn't have really um, a lot of strength in professional nursing associations for reasons of other things that were going on in the environment around regulation. And it seemed that um, those nursing associations didn't have, in in many cases, the capacity or they were in such a transition stage that they weren't able to to be a voice for nursing. And the other thing that I think um, where there was a problem was uh, with policy advice within governments. While we do still have these Um, kind of chief nursing officer, principal nursing officer roles in many of the governments, except for, I think, British Columbia right now, those um, nurse leaders in government are not very well positioned within the bureaucracy Mm -hmm. to have influence. And um, in many many cases, that was a weakness. And federally, we don't have a principal nursing officer like most countries do. So there was a lack of an opportunity, I think, to really pull nursing together around this and and very much like the supply chain thing, it became individual chief nurse executives struggling to figure out what to do within their own organization without that. And And we saw that in Technicolor in the data. There was no network communication where any senior vice president of nursing, chief nursing officer, you name it, they couldn't connect to their network to say, what are you seeing? How do I solve this problem? That learning uh, infrastructure is completely absent. In absence of it, of course, what happens, we were relying far too much on social media and newscasts. And I mean, there was more data in CBC and CTV, really, telling us what the modeling looked like rather than a trusted source, a single source of truth. We talk about a single source of truth in supply chain. 
single source of truth in terms of best practices based on everything we know right now didn't exist. So nurses right. left were left to their own devices. And in my opinion, they did an, a remarkable job at having to navigate that with their patients, but at such great cost, because I think it further eroded the confidence when rapid fire is coming from several sources as to, is it masks today or N95s or surgical masks or this or that? And no one actually could definitively say, and one answer was public health, another answer was politicians, another answer was an administrator. Then you, do, you don't have confidence in your system and you weren't quite so confident anyway, given shortages. Right. So I, I think it became a very significant perfect storm or maybe nightmare of a storm, more right. likely. Exactly. Well, as a, as a researcher, Anne, who understands yeah. about the role of caring to health outcomes, what advice would you give to decision makers who are listening today? Because it yeah. seems that the corporate model and the efficiency focus, um, you know, is, is a, you know, I'm just wondering, can you really blend good business principles with good care? Is it possible to put those two things together? <laughs> Oh, it, it's very possible, uh, as as you and I have talked about. It, we have to shift very quickly and significantly away from this corporate view of supply chain as just the back office system reports to the CFO. That's the general model in the country. And moving to a clinically integrated supply chain strategy that is supported by digital infrastructure. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? That means clinicians are working side by side in those clinical programs with supply chain to say, here's my clinical challenge. Here are the solutions I'm looking for. Help us and we'll help you find mm -hmm. the products, the companies with the expertise, the software we need to solve these real world challenges. That's what we need to get to. That's when you start to deliver value. When you deliver value for patient outcomes, for your workforce in terms of quality of work life, you have a less expensive health system. Mm -hmm. If you I only like ever, if you only ever focus mm -hmm. on cost, you're not going to get there. It's a, it, you're constantly, we, that is not, that has been where we've been for 20 years. It has not gotten to the lowest cost savings we've all um, achieved. The second part of that though is you cannot manage and understand and strengthen and resilience in a supply chain unless you measure it. And you know what you have and where. Today, in most of our provinces, we cannot tell you what patient got what joint implant by what surgeon and what medications and other products were used. And by the way, did they have great outcomes or they didn't? Right. That's a supply chain problem, right? Car manufacturers can tell me what brake pad was manufactured by what company when it came off that line and what it's made out of. We don't have that infrastructure in Canada. It's digitally enabled supply chain. We have got to get there. And the data that a supply chain infrastructure can generate takes us right to value and patient outcomes. And if we did nothing else in this country but that, connected that data to all our domestic suppliers to say help us solve where we're not doing as well as we should be, we would have a much more resilient health system, let alone resilient supply chain and sustainable workforce. And that's really our opportunity. Yeah, that's an excellent point because right now it seems like the data related to supply chain stops at the point where the um, supply gets to the patient care unit. 
and we it's don't. It's usually the loading dock, but yes, sometimes. <laughs> <it's> <laughs> the loading dock. But but so we don't have data beyond the financial data about whether right. something was delivered or not. So we're not taking right. it to that point of care, which does right. require that clinical input. And um, yes. I'm thinking about that um, a few years ago, the Canadian Nurses Association did a little survey of how many nurses in organizations were involved in decisions around information technology purchases. And I think the result was less than 3%. Yes, that's true. Had been consulted yeah. about what kind right. of software they were going to be using to input right. data at the, at the point of care. So th this really points to a general lack of cl real clinical input into yes. major yes. decision-making. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, I said, what three three things would you um, <laughs> hope that decision-makers would uh, would say? And you, you talked about transparency, so that we know. Yes. But I think one of the things that um, when we talked before, and you said that we really didn't know when we were purchasing PPE where the different elements of that came from and how it was all no. sealed into a final product. Right. We, we have no idea. Yes. When we were purchasing products, because we have no digitally enabled system, we are one of few countries that have not adopted global standards. When you go out and buy 10 million pairs of gloves, you have no idea if those gloves had latex, don't have latex. We don't have the data that flows it right to the nurse that says, this patient has a latex allergy and you, you just scanned a, a procedure tray that's got latex gloves. That's not going to work. That so that's exactly, so global standards becomes the global language that allows you to track and trace every product attribute. Right. What's, what are the components of that product? Right back to who manufactured it. We're right. one of the very few countries in the world that haven't adopted that. And once you do, now you've got a global language, but that's the data you flow to your clinicians to know if this patient has that allergy then there are automated software tools all in the market, all over the place that says, oh, that's not going to work, right? It's like scanning a barcode when you get on an airplane. They know Ann Snowden's supposed to be in seat 32A. Mm -hmm. We don't have any such barcode scanning at point of care to say, Ann Snowden's allergic to latex gloves. You need to remember that when you're about to put this surgical dressing on, right? Same, same idea. So it's the connectivity of the data that helps me as a clinician make sure I give the safest possible care. So that transparency, that redundancy of information, so that you yep. got, you know, when they talk about the Swiss cheese model of safety, yep. there's multiple different ways that the potential error gets caught. And that whole thing about clinical input into decision-making yes. about supply chain and purchase. Thank you yep. very much, Anne, for your participation in this conversation. It's uh, always a pleasure to speak with you. You're one of the few nurses who's interested in this very <laughs> important area related to our healthcare system. And very few nurses probably really even know what it is exactly that, why that's exactly. important. So I'm really glad that you were able to share that with us. And I hope that your messages get to the right people. I'd like to thank Longwoods Publishing again for supporting this podcast. And please share this link with your colleagues and others in your network. Thanks very much. Thank you so much, Kathleen. It was a pleasure.